The following is a message from Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. I'm not going to forget this today. Uh, Children, you can go to Children's Church. It's funny how when you become a dad, it, uh, it's right there in your, in your face. Like, hey, we need to get going. All righty. Uh, it's uh, tremendous to be able to come here and uh, come here. I, we live here. But um, it, it, to be here with you all uh, this morning, to be able to preach God's word uh, to you, it's been quite a long time since the last time uh, that I preached here at Durkeytown. Uh, I have over the last two years, I think, preached eight or nine different times up in Ticonderoga. So I've gotten to, to share uh, the word with the saints up in Ty, and uh, it's been quite a blessing for me. I got to preach through Habakkuk at one point, and uh, not, not a text we normally go to, uh, you know, especially in, in New Testament times here, but <laughs> certainly one that I had fun with. Uh, but also this past uh, 15 weeks or so, I've gotten to uh, teach and develop the curriculum for Sunday school. We've been going through the book of Colossians. And so uh, we are now at the end of, of those 15 weeks. And I wanted to share with you, and Pastor wanted me to share with you, uh, kind of a summary of what we learned in the book of Colossians Uh, this year as we went through it as a Sunday school class. It was uh, amazing this morning to get a chance. Uh, I didn't hand out any handouts. Uh, We just just read through the entire book of Colossians. Probably took us about 17 minutes. Uh, It didn't take that long at all. And it was interesting after having gone through it for weeks and weeks at a time to just kind of read it all the way through and to see how things flowed and, and how things went in that book. Uh, but uh, also got to share uh, some, some stories about how that, that book is working itself out in people's lives and how also, uh, you know, just some of the things that people learned as well as uh, some, some linchpin uh, text for the people that were there this morning. So my hope is to share with you this morning uh, what I've learned, what I've been working through um, I don't know everything, and I had to study a lot as I went through the book of Colossians uh, and think about uh, what the book has to say, what the different sections have to say, and uh, it, was, it was a good learning time for me as well, so uh, my hope is to share that with you. Before I get started, uh, let's pray together uh, for God's blessing over the preaching of His Word. Father God, I I thank you for uh, this time uh, with your people. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that you will use the time uh, that I spent uh, learning, studying the book of Colossians, not just this past week, but over the last uh, 15 weeks as we've gone through and studied uh, the book. I pray uh, that it will benefit your people uh, here today. 
that they will be able to go out into the world and use uh, what they learn today in the preaching of your word. Lord, I also pray that it would uh, elevate uh, our hearts uh, to worship you, uh, that it would lead us uh, to worship you and and what you've done uh, in this world. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you didn't come to Sunday school uh, this past 15 weeks, I very much so expect you to be there next, uh, next semester as we go through it. Uh, there, it, was, it, it wasn't just uh, the time that we spent studying the scriptures uh, you know, together uh, and learning you know, new facts about the book of Colossians uh, that was key, but the other important thing that happens uh, when we get together and we study uh, the Word of God and and we used small groups. We broke down after, you know, a short time together, we would break down into small groups. And uh, I saw a lot of people who, who generally don't talk too much really open up. And uh, we got to dig into each other's lives as we went through Sunday school. And I think uh, a lot of the people that were in the small groups drew a lot closer together. And I think that that is going to bear fruit, not just, uh, you know, in Sunday school. I think that's going to bear itself out uh, in the years to come as people have, have intimately gotten to know each other uh, in the context of reading God's Word, uh, which was, was really, uh, I think, key for us. So, uh, small promotion time for Sunday school. Uh, come, join us. Whether you know a lot about the, the subject that we're studying, we need you there too. Uh, or you know nothing at all about the, the subject that we're studying, we need you there. Uh, and that is uh, so that we can really uh, bond with each other uh, over God's word and help each other to work those things out into our lives. So that's, that's the end of my advertisement for Sunday school. Uh, but let's, let's dive into uh, Colossians. It's difficult to preach the entirety of a book, even a book that's only four chapters like Colossians. There's so much that we could dive into uh, in, in just the first section. We, we spent, you know, I mean, we only have four or five verses, you know, per section, maybe 10 at the most, and yet we could spend an hour and 15 minutes talking about it, and usually we took it right up to the last minute each week as we were talking about it. But I do want to focus this in on uh, particular parts of the book of Colossians, particularly the parts that I think summarize uh, the text very well. Um, and those bookends is what I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to give you two texts that I think summarize uh, the, the, the book of Colossians and really what it's trying to get at. So the first text that I'm going to highlight is Colossians 1, and it starts in verse 13 and 14. And if you're in the book of Colossians, please uh, don't read out loud with me, but, but you can read along with me here. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, Paul goes a lot deeper into what that means for us. It's talking about the arrival of Christ. God has, through Christ and through his work, delivered us from the domain of darkness, really the, the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom, uh, there's a lot to indicate this as well, the kingdom of Satan uh, himself and uh, all his angels as well, the ones that fell with him. But we've been removed, we've been transferred out of that kingdom through the work of Jesus Christ, his son, God's son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this is one bookend, right? Christ has arrived and he's done something. There's a work that he's done in the world. The second passage I want to point us to is Colossians 3. This is going to get me to this, the second part of the focus, where I want us to focus at and where I think the focus of the book of Colossians is. If we go to Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. I'll wait till people get there. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The seemingly most insignificant part of that verse, I think, when we were to, if we were to read it through, would be that last part, be thankful. But that, that thankfulness is mentioned over and over and over again in the book of Colossians. But in that first passage I read from Colossians 1, we see Christ has arrived. He's done a work of redemption. He's called us out of the world, the domain, the kingdom of darkness. God has put us into the kingdom of his son. And we see in the book of Colossians, and this works itself out throughout the entire book. I encourage you to read it tonight in your, your, your own quiet time. Again, it takes 17 minutes, not that long. But this weaves out. What, how are we to live as a result of the arrival of Jesus Christ in this kingdom or in this world? And this is really the main idea. This is where I want uh, to get us to. Uh, I have a slide that I prepared to put this up so that everybody, you know, can see this and it's, it's up there for you to focus on. Is it up there? Good. Main idea? Awesome. But this is, is really where I want us to focus in on. This is where I think the book of Colossians focuses us in. The arrival and the work of Jesus Christ requires deep and genuine discipleship. So think about that for a moment. 
the arrival and the work of Jesus Christ requires deep and genuine discipleship. I would say it required deep and genuine discipleship from the Christians, from the saints at Colossae. Also, we see Paul, he says, read this letter in Laodicea. He tells them to read it everywhere, really. But it required deep and genuine discipleship from them. And I would also say that it requires deep and genuine discipleship from us as well. You're going to see that play out in the book if you read it tonight. You'll see it play out in the book, and I'm going to highlight a few things that talk about what that deep and genuine discipleship looks like. But Christ's work and arrival in this world doesn't just stop at our salvation. It's moving us towards something. God is building a kingdom. And it's not just a kingdom of seats that are filled on a Sunday morning. It's a kingdom of true, deep, and genuine discipleship that moves out of these seats on Monday through Saturday into the world and does something. It has an effect on the world, uh, but first in our own hearts and lives as well. To understand the backdrop of this, to understand uh, really the book of Colossians, we need to understand the context as well. What is Paul talking about? Why is he talking about the arrival of Christ and who Christ is and what he does in the world? And why does he talk about what that means for us? Well, this is all because of, and I'm going to pick on people in our Sunday school. Why is Paul writing the letter of Colossians? What's going on in, in Colossae? Anybody who was in my class? False teachers, right? There were false teachers that were present uh, in the church at Colossae. And we're told about these false teachers. It doesn't really come to us until chapter 2. But one of the uh, portions of of Colossians that talks about these false teachers and what they were teaching is Colossians 2.8. So if you look in Colossians 2.8 with me, it says this. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and, according, and not according to Christ. I asked the Sunday school this morning, uh, what are some verses that have really you know, affected you? And, and Joe, thank you for mentioning uh, this one. Uh, you, know, you, give, you give me a little extra content for preaching today. Uh, but Joe noted... Not much has changed. This is not much different than what we experience today. There are people still out there trying to take us captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition and according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. You know, Joe, it was was a funny moment he mentioned, uh, you know, he, he encountered a, a woman one time after giving his testimony who said, oh, poor Joe, didn't you know that Jesus was a druid? You know, how do you react to something like that? You know, but there's, it, yeah, it's, it's not true, right? 
But it's, it's uh, you encounter things like that out in the real world all the time. People who say foolish things and that are based off of what? They're certainly not based in, in Scripture. So Joe was right. Nothing new under the sun here. We deal with these kinds of things all the time. We also see in Colossians 2, in, in verses 16 and 18, it gives us a little more information about these false teachers. It says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to festival, or new moon, or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on into detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So we learn, again, a little bit more about these false teachers, who they are and what they are trying to accomplish in their teaching at Colossae. They're kind of a mix, right, of Old Testament uh, Judaism. That you see the, the festivals in there, the food and drink restrictions. Uh, you even see the word Sabbath. Uh, and, and Paul rightly pulls, points out that these were a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. But we also see that there's a mix of paganism in here as well, right? There's asceticism, a denial of pleasures of the, of the world, which Paul later says, you know, has an air of wisdom about it, but is in no uh, way helpful in putting to death the deeds of this world. We also have the worship of angels. That's certainly not something that comes from Judaism or Old Testament uh, belief in Yahweh. This pagan idea, right? And then we have this idea of going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensual mind. Again, and this was not new at the time either. In fact, Israel's entire history is laden with uh, mixing truth, a little bit of truth, uh, with a lot of lies. Or even just a little bit of lies, right? And that's where we get these perversions of what is truly uh, pleasing to God and, and, and religious in, in his eyes. There's this mix of, of truth and, and falsehoods. And it, it does, at least on the surface, have some sort of air of wisdom to it. I want to talk a little bit about Colossians 2.18 where it says, going on in detail about visions. Uh, G.K. Beale, one of the uh, uh, authors I relied heavily on for the content for our, our Sunday school, notes here that in every other uh, instance where this phrase, this Greek phrase, is used in the ancient Near East and around the area, it's translated as uh, entering into uh, the, a vision of a heavenly temple. That's how it's, how it's translated. And, and there's other Christians as well who, who would translate it that way here in 2.18. Uh, this is significant for a couple of different reasons, and I want to touch on those because I think it, it helps us with our text. There are no uh, direct 
quotations of the Old Testament in all of Colossians. I was surprised. That's something new I learned from Colossians uh, when I first started looking at it. But there are many allusions uh, in the text to Old Testament ideas and concepts. And one of those allusions that keeps popping up in the text is this idea of the Old Testament temple. I want to give you a, a couple of examples. Right? In one nine, it says, it talks about, I'll just read it to you. And so from that day we heard and have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What in the world does that have to do with the temple? Well, there's, there's three passages in the Old Testament actually that use all of these, these same phrases. Uh, so we have the phrase knowledge, understanding, and wisdom, right? There's Exodus 3, Exodus 31, I believe 1 Kings 7, and Isaiah all use these terms, especially when you go back to the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They're all there, and in each one of those passages, they're talking about the temple, about people who are being filled with the Spirit so that they can gain knowledge and understanding and wisdom, sometimes intelligence is used as well, in order to build the physical temple of God. And yet here uh, we see that we are, we are going, he, that Paul is praying for people to have spiritual wisdom, to be filled with the Spirit, so that they will be filled with knowledge, spiritual wisdom, and understanding. Because as we will see, God is building not a physical temple, but a spiritual temple. That's one example. Let's do another. In Ephesians 2, 9 and 10, we, we read this. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So God, the fullness of God, dwells in Jesus bodily. Where did the fullness of God dwell in the Old Testament? It's the temple, the Holy of Holies. Yeah. So here we see Christ alluded to as uh, the temple of God, God dwelling within him fully. But we also see this, for in him, whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, but also this, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So we see believers, and this is a, a common idea that's throughout the uh, New Testament. We as believers are, are filled uh, with the Holy Spirit, uh, but our bodies are what? A temple, right? So we see believers being equated with temples. Let's do uh, another one, and in, in, we'll bounce back. A little, we're bouncing them back a little bit here, back and forth here a little bit. But in verse twenty-two, uh, in chapter one, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. 
Again, if we look back at certain Old Testament texts, especially when it's uh, been translated into the Greek, these words appear, but they're not talking about human beings. They're talking about sheep, sacrifices in the temple. They were to be holy and blameless or spotless. So again, we see believers being equated with this temple service that's happening. I'll give you uh, uh, another one, verse uh, 23 of the same chapter. He says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, for which I, Paul, have become a minister. You see that stable and steadfast. Again, like a, like a building, not shifting, right? The, the temple didn't shift. Again, an allusion to the idea of the temple. And there's, there's verses, again, that connect this with language. In chapter 2, verse 7, we see a similar idea. We as believers, I'll start in verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, you are rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you are taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Again, this, this metaphor, this idea that we're being built up, similar to a building or a temple. So kind of a lighter illusion, but it's there as well. In uh, verse number 11, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 11, we see this. In him also were you circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised through him in faith in the working of God who was raised from the dead. We have this mention of circumcision. Uh, it is well known uh, that the, the ritual, the rite of circumcision, which was a sign of the covenant uh, in the Old Testament, was often performed in the temple. This temple language is there. So Paul has built all this up. Several uh, different allusions to uh, a temple. And again, it has a New Testament purpose as well as we see in baptism, right? Baptism is the sign of the covenant in the New Testament and is performed in connection with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so all these allusions are here and present, right? The, the, the temple allusions uh, that are there. And, and Paul leads up to uh, where he talks about these false teachers who are having visions of a heavenly temple where angels are worshipped and all other sorts of pagan ideas have been introduced. But God has made and is building a new temple. He's building a, a, a new building. And we see both Christ associated as the spiritual temple of God and we see that we, as believers, are also associated as that temple of God. And so Paul's point here is that we don't need to be uh, 
following extraneous religious ideals or uh, uh, extraneous uh, uh, ideas where we're uh, human traditions, you know, what we call legalism today, in order to enter into the temple of God, but in fact, by the very virtue of our repentance and belief in Jesus Christ, we have access to God through Christ. And not only that, God, Christ, has sent his spirit to dwell in us as a temple. We already have access to him. Let me take you over to Ephesians real quick. And, and it's just a, a couple of pages back from where we are right now. You go to Ephesians 2, uh, 19 through 22. Often Colossians and Ephesians are uh, taught in, together because they're very, very similar books. But we have this concept being developed over here in Ephesians as well. In verse 20, in, in chapter 2, verse 20, we see that we are built... Uh, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we see that we do not need special access uh, to God, giving a, given through extraneous religious practices, but that by virtue of repentance and belief, that is already accessible to us. God is already accessible to us and dwells within us. You see, if Christ has come, a new order and a new creation has begun. And the Colossians needed to live accordingly, and we also need to live accordingly not according to the pagan ideals of heavenly temple visions and through extraneous and perverted religious ordinances, but instead we have to live in the light of the fact that we do have access to and have become a part of the temple of God, the place where he dwells. And we have this access through the work of Jesus Christ. And then... Paul talks to us and tells us how exactly that idea, the idea that Christ has come, he has arrived, and how that's going to change us. Let's look over at uh, chapter 3 in Colossians, and I'll start in, in verse 5. He gives us some practical ideas of how this is going to change us. Paul says this, put to death. Let me read that again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So again, the work doesn't stop at salvation. There's a sanctification that's going on in our lives. Uh, as some of the Puritans called it, we need to be mortifying the sin in our bodies, mortifying, killing, putting to death the sin that, that still has a hold of us. 
We need to be putting it to death. Because on account of these things, all these sexual sins that that Paul mentions here, this is why, on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. So we need to put them to death. In uh, further along, in uh, verse number 8, he says this, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So we've seen now that we have to put things to death, but also we need to take them off, kind of like old, filthy garments, and we're putting on the new man, Jesus Christ, and his character. So we have to take off those old garments. It requires action from us. It requires something from us, activity. Uh, We talked this morning a little bit about this, this, this strain, right, between the idea that we can't do these things by ourselves. We need to have the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts so that we can battle these things, put them to death, take them off. But at the same time, these things don't happen by themselves. It does take activity. It takes work in the life of a Christian to put these things to death and to put them away. But those are the things which we're called to do. I would also mention this. Pastor has challenged us that it is possible that the type of discipleship that we practiced in the past is insufficient for today. That possibly we need a different type of discipleship. That means, and I want you to think about that this week in your life. There may be things that we have freedoms to do as Christians. You know, maybe we, we, have, we can watch the, the, the types of movies that we want to watch, um, and, and it's not necessarily sinful, and it's not, uh, there's no prohibition of it in Scripture. But I would challenge you on, on, on that a little bit, that maybe, as Pastor says, the type of discipleship that we've had in the past is insufficient for the day that we live in. There is, I believe, room uh, in the Scripture for putting on yourself, I got to be careful here, um, putting expectations on yourself, especially if, if you've been convicted through the Holy Spirit that aren't necessarily prohibited in Scripture. Let me give you an example from history. In the United States, 50, 60 years ago, uh, the church as a whole, really, in the United States, uh, made the decision that Christians should not attend or go to movie theaters. And that was because at the cult, in the culture during that time, those were salacious places to be. There were things that happened in those places that weren't necessarily good. Now, where I think that went wrong is when we made that a legalistic Uh, requirement for all Christians. But I do think there are times and places in in culture 
when we look at what the culture is doing and we, we maybe need to set aside our freedoms for a moment and think about what it means to be a people who are set apart and, and holy and called to a different standard. So that's, that's something we, I think we need to muse on, think about a little bit. Uh, but I also, that needs to come with the warning, right? And we've been warned about this in this very passage, that we cannot fall into the trap of legalism. We need to make sure uh, that we are not heaping extraneous ordinances upon people that aren't found in Scripture. So there has to be, again, balance that's there. But I do, I do think that we need to take the challenge that Pastor Ken has given us and think about that a little bit harder. Is the type of discipleship that we need to practice today, does it, it require more of us given our culture? And I would challenge you to think about that this, this week. There's one other thing that Paul challenges us with uh, in, in this passage as well. Uh, if we read down to verse uh, 12, we'll read this, chapter 3. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another and... If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. That's really the verse that has, in my, even through teaching it, uh, that I've, I've really hung my hat on and really had to think about a lot. There's a lot of circumstances. There's strife, even amongst believers and Christians. Uh, we don't always have compassionate hearts. We're not always kind. We don't always act in humility, meekness, and patience. But we need to bear with one another, right? Because God has forgiven us. And so we must forgive our brothers. And above all, we need to put on love and it binds everything together, I think including ourselves in perfect harmony. And then there's this passage, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I've really been dwelling on this, thinking about it, but there's so many things that come at us in life. You know, I've struggled through and, and gone through hardships in my life, and as I look out into this room right now, I see many people who have struggled and dealt with and, and wrestled with some awful, terrible things. And we talked about this morning how I've seen some people in this very church who have wrestled with those things and I've seen them walk away. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see that, but it's also very encouraging to see people who have dealt with terrible, awful uh, tragedies and harm and persecution, and they stand firm. 
And that's because they have the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts. They know who they are in Jesus Christ. They know that they are identified with Christ when he's crucified on the cross. And that all their sins, along with Christ, are nailed to that cross and crucified. And that should lead us to tremendous peace. Those are the other things in life that come at us, while they may sting a little, are not going to sting nearly as much because of the peace of Christ that is ruling in our hearts. And that is to what we are called, uh, to be one body together. And again, just a short promo, be a part of that body. Part of that is, is, is growing together, uh, and uh, I would argue going to Sunday school. <laughs> so uh, we're going to be studying... Uh, Actually, the book that Pastor just got out of uh, this, this coming fall. He's going to be preaching through Colossians. We're going to switch. He's preaching through Colossians, and I'm going to be teaching through uh, some themes in Mark. So I would ask, uh, again, that you, you would join us, uh, consider it, um, possibly uh, consider uh, you know, not exercising your freedom not to come. And, uh, and, and come so that, that you can benefit and benefit others uh, as we go through uh, some themes in Mark. Um, that, that leads us into, uh, I believe, uh, the table as well. Uh, so uh, we are uh, one body. I often think of this, you know, it's, the table is a, is a place uh, for us uh, to be reminded of and think about uh, who Jesus is uh, and, and what he has done, but it's also a place for us to come together uh, in, in, as a body of Christ. Uh, that's what communion means, right? We're communing with one another. Uh, so it is, it is a blessing uh, to be able to come together and partake of uh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, the body which was uh, punished for our sins and the blood which was shed for uh, the forgiveness of our sins. So if the men would uh, uh, come forward uh, who are going to serve. Thank you for listening to this message from Durkytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.